Hi, everyone. I'm back. I'm recording my first podcast in over a year. I'm excited to be back. I apologize to my audience for not releasing podcasts in a while. I finished up my first year at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I really enjoyed it. Going to be going back in September, so only a few more months of summer. But been really enjoying my summer. Um, loved Cal Poly, great school. And actually, the next guest that you guys will be hearing in a few seconds is a Cal Poly alumni. So I really do hope you guys enjoy this episode. I'm glad to be back um, sharing this knowledge with you. And I really do hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Finance Z Podcast, Episode 18. Today, I'm joined by another amazing guest, Mr. Robert Park. Mr. Park has had a fantastic career in the business world. Mr. Park is currently the Chief Financial Officer of Dobby, the number one audio company in the world for entertainment technology. Previously, he also served as the VP of Finance for Check, PayPal, and Blue Jean Networks. In 2021, Dobby was named to Fast Company's prestigious annual list of the world's most innovative companies and consistently among the top-ranked companies leading the music industry forward. Robert began his finance career with Ernst & Young, one of the big four accounting firms, serving numerous technology clients. Robert holds a bachelor's degree in business administration with a concentration in accounting from Cal Poly and St. Louis Obispo. Mr. Park, welcome, and thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Logan. Of course. Um, now, before we dive deeper into your career at Adobe uh, and also the corporate world, um, I, I'd like to discuss your early career. So I'd love to hear your story on kind of how you got into accounting and finance and kind of how that led you into everything. Great. Well, first, great to be here, Logan, and congrats on your podcast and the, you know, and the impressive list of interviews you've had on so far. I'm going to bring down the average, but I always try to support my fellow Cal Poly Mustangs whenever I can. Of course. Uh, you know, really what got me into accounting and finance really comes down to three things. First, accounting is a universal language of business. You know, it's the best way to learn how to read financial statements. Uh, and it has been since the beginning of time, you know, without double entry bookkeeping, there would be no Western civilization. I always joke about that. But, uh, you know, second accounting is, or at least it was before Enron, you know, one of the most trusted and respected professions out there. And then third, and you can probably appreciate this as a freshman there. For me, it was all about getting the J-O-B. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was at Cal Poly 30 years ago, and we were just coming out of a recession. You know, the job market was tight, but not for accounting. You know, the job placement for accounting, I think, was in the high 90s. And I got my job offer at the end of my junior year. So, you know, I had nothing to worry about about getting a job my senior year where a lot of my classmates were struggling to, you know, find that first placement. So, um, you know, that those three factors really led to me thinking that accounting and finance are, are probably the best way to go. Um, you know, um, that's, that was, that was my decision. Well, I find that, I, I find that very interesting just because, you know, I, I'm like myself, a freshman, and I have a lot of friends that are freshmen and they were kind of debating between accounting finance. And then you have something called information systems that I found out existed this past year. Um, and everyone has talked very highly about accounting. 
But I, I think the main thing that everyone talks about is how stable it is and how you can work hard, you know, learn the fundamentals and then go straight into hopefully working at a big four and you do, you know, get compensation for that. So I think that's a, that plays a big part in it. Is that correct? Yeah. And accounting has sometimes a bad rap. It's got the stigma of, uh, you know, long hours, low pay and uh, unsexy job. But at the end of the <laughs> day, you know, that's what, that's, that's the stigma going in. But at the end of the day, it's, a really a people and services business. Um, you've got to understand the language of financial statements, technical accounting, but you're dealing with clients and you're dealing with colleagues, you're dealing with other professionals. So I found that um, that stigma was incorrect when, when I finally got in. Awesome. Yeah. Let's. So after graduating from college, you joined Ernst & Young, also known as EY's audit group. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, just going into your accounting career, what did you learn from your big four accounting experience and what led you to leave EY and transition into the corporate world? Yeah, great question. Um, first, I'm so old. It was the big six when I joined the firm. Um, mm, I know right. four now. Uh, but looking back, you know, I learned so much from my experience at EY. Um, a few things. One, uh, first of all, it's technical accounting. You, you, mm. If you don't know technical accounting, you probably shouldn't be one of the firms. But more than just textbook technical accounting. It's how do you take that accounting and apply it to real world business situations? Um, you know, second, I was in the Bay Area office in Palo Alto and San Jose, San Francisco. So I learned a lot about software, hardware, and SaaS growth businesses. I, I learned how they work. I learned how they make money, or in some cases don't make money. Um, you know, I learned about systems and processes and kind of the what could go wrong in terms of getting the numbers and disclosures right in a complicated business environment. Uh, but what I really appreciated was how to deal with other professionals. You know, big four is a services business. At the end of the day, you work with the team on a particular audit, then you move on to another team, then you rinse and repeat over and over again, as you move on to different engagements. So you end up working with different teams and different clients who have different styles and different personalities, and they all have different issues. So you need to be tenacious about managing different projects, how to manage client issues, how to delegate work and work across swim lanes and how to effectively communicate in, with these different personalities, different uh, um, styles and communicate succinctly and effectively. And I think the six years I was at the firm, I, you know, I learned a lot by, by doing and, and watching kind of like the Cal Poly way learn by doing. Yes. You have to do it. And before we go into how you kind of transitioned into the corporate world, I, I am just a little curious. So um, most people have this conception that if you're an accountant and you're doing auditing, you just do like auditing, you'd stick to that one simple task. And you mentioned basically you're diving deeper into different groups and learning about different things. How much of you know your experience at EY was more like doing the same old, same old versus, you know, learning something new or joining a different group and doing something different in auditing? Yeah, that's actually a great question. You, you could stay one uh, one discipline within the firm. I raised my hand for everything. So um, I was young at the time, unattached. I said, send me on international engagements. So they sent me all over the world to, to look at companies from Mexico to Japan, Australia, uh, you name it. So I was traveling around the world, uh, looking, doing different engagements and working on international companies. Um, what I also did was I raised my hand and said, hey, let me try internal audit. So I did some external and I tried some internal audit just to get to know a different discipline or a different look at, at, the, at, the, at the company. And so I think as a, 
you know, a young person getting into a, a new job, always raise your hand for more. People love that. I think people can appreciate um, the willingness and capacity to do more and try different things because the more tools you put in your toolkit, the more they're going to help you later in life. And um, I've always had the, the approach of always learning. I'm still learning today and I'm, I'm still a sponge to uh, learn different parts of the business, whether it be marketing, sales, go to market. Um, there's always more you can learn. And then you take those learnings over 30 years for me and apply it to um, the real world. And, you know, in terms of what led me to leave EY after six years and then transition to the corporate world, you know, it was a unique opportunity, you know, to go from auditing different companies to being the chief accounting officer of a billion dollar software subsidiary, you know, of a fortune 500 company. And it was in Atlanta, Georgia. So it was kind of a, uh, a big opportunity, a big job in a different location. It was a stretch. And I thought it was very compelling. Um, for me, I'd been working with the CFO of McKesson uh, for several months on a project. And at the end of that project, she came up to me. I said, the project's over. I'm going back to my other clients. Thank you. It was great meeting you. Great project. Um, she stopped me and said, I, I, I'd like to offer you a full-time position. And then she offered it to me on the spot. I thought about it, talked to some folks at EY, and ended up taking the role. What, what the great thing about the, the firm was, and I, I talked to the partners I worked with, is they, they told me, hey, Robert, if this doesn't work out for you, if you find it's not greener on the other side, if you don't like it, you can always come back. So I really kind of had a safety net based on you know, my track record or, or my perception, perception of me at the firm, be able to come back if this didn't work out. But as it turns out, I just, I never looked back once I hit the corporate world. Yeah. And it seems like, it seems like it's been uh, not, not too bad for you. <laughs> it, it worked out, but it's always good to know. And you don't burn bridges is that you build that your brand and, and those relationships in each place you go is that if it didn't work out, I knew that I had a, I had a place to come back. So um, it was a great opportunity to, to get out there and, and, and stretch myself. Of course. And obviously, like you mentioned, you did join a lot of companies before you headed to Adobe. So uh, moving on, how do you think your past experiences as VP of finance at fast growing tech companies like PayPal, Jag and BlueJeans allowed you to develop and eventually become the CFO of Adobe? And how did you decide to move to your next opportunity? Yeah, if I, if I step back and, th- you know, whatever you plan your career to be is not going to be how it's going to end up. So you <laughs> could have the perfect I'm going to go to this company and that company, and I want to be at this. It doesn't really work out that way. But for me, what I think, a few things helped me along the way. You know, I do think that a solid foundation in accounting and reporting, you know, is good for any, you know, senior finance leader to ensure the financials are accurate and complete. My technical accounting knowledge is a little rusty, but at least I've got the spidey sense to know that doesn't sound right, doesn't feel right. I know how to ask the right questions to make sure that um, what we're doing is appropriate because the last thing any company wants to do is is lose credibility by um, you know having in, incorrect financials or or disclosures, um, you know. But while I was at PayPal, I, I moved to the dark side. I moved to FP&A, so I moved from accounting to financial, you know, running the global financial planning and analysis team. You know, that's where I learned how to run and scale a profitable business. And it was growing from a billion dollars a year in revenue when I got there to four billion a year in revenue over five years um, and expanding internationally and expanding different markets and, and different products. You know, mm-hmm. I did the same thing with Chegg in preparation for its IPO 
Um, and, and then at Blue Jeans did the same thing again, which was ultimately acquired by Verizon Business. So really it's the foundation in accounting, but also the, the finance background and an operational finance uh, background and being able to help companies scale, get to where they want to be and, and have a, a, you know, a, a good exit. Awesome. What I would say is the decision to move to the next opportunity is really mm-hmm. unique for each situation. I, I don't think there's a playbook for that, you know, whether for me, it was going from public accounting, which is, you know, you, you can stay to be partner or you can go in the corporate world. But I decided to move to the corporate world. Nothing wrong with being a partner, but I didn't think that was for me. Um, moving from accounting to finance and FP&A and strategic finance, that's a different move. Um, you have to also look at the opportunity in front of you. Is that a company you can, you can believe in the mission? Do you value that? You know, can you add value at that company and also learn from it? So when, when you go to the next opportunity, it's two things. One, do you feel like you can add value in that position? And um, two, it's not just can you add value, but are you also going to grow and, and learn new things? You know, in each move, you know, I generally bite off more than I can chew. And then my approach is I chew like hell to get through it. So each move is a stretch step. And that stretch step, you just have to get through it. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I guess moving on, well, actually I was pretty curious. So what was the story? Like, how'd you, how'd you get named the CFO of one of the biggest companies in the world? Did someone just give you a call? They were like, Hey, uh, Robert, do you want to be the CFO or did you apply? How, how did it kind of work? Um, in these kind of roles, you don't apply. There's no application. You don't, yeah. you're not a job posting for CFO. Mm-hmm. Um, in all of my moves, I've, I've never applied. So mm-hmm. I've always had a call, either uh, a warm call, warm introduction from someone who's worked with me in the past, uh, executive recruiter who's worked with people who've worked with me. Um, but that's generally how most of them call. You get, <clears throat> you get multiple calls every week and it's like playing poker. You, you got to fold like 90% of the time, 95% mm-hmm. of the time. Um, and I got the call from Dolby um, as they were looking for a CFO. The former CFO had been there 10 years. He's retiring. You know, uh, if you look at the, the tenure of the Dolby executives, a lot of them have been there a very long time because it is a great company, as you said, a great company to be. And the last uh, CFO had retired after a, a great 10 years at the company. So they needed someone to help them through the next uh, stage in, the, in, in his life. And so I got a call. I talked to some folks and... Um, and it worked out. Awesome. Um, and I guess going to Adobe and, you know, industry related questions and the role of CFO uh, started off when someone hears the company Adobe, they think of amazing sound quality at the movies or home theater. For those unfamiliar with Adobe, could you describe Adobe's business and what industries its products impact? Sure. Happy to, you know, it, it all starts with the vision. You know, Adobe was founded on the belief that people want to have compelling and immersive experiences. You know, for us, we think quality matters. You know, we're focusing on raising the bar of experiences with our technologies. Um, You know, Dolby is an enduring company that's been around for six decades. You know, it's always been the leader in the science of sight and sound, not just sound, but also sight. Um, You know, we've gone through several technological shifts and we come out stronger each time. You know, we make consumer experiences, entertainment experiences better for device makers, content creators, now content distributors, and, and now developers to be able to create that immersive experience. I always say to people, we don't make the TVs, we make the TVs better. We don't make smart speakers, we make smart speakers better. We make the laptop better, we don't make laptops. So 
we make all the consumer electronic devices, probably the things you have in your ears today, things you have in front of you, things you watch in the living room, and also your car. Um, we make that experience uh, for sight and sound uh, much better. And, and I would also say, you know, as you said, we create amazing sound quality at the movies or your home theater with our Dolby Atmos. But we also create amazing video with Dolby Vision and bring both experiences beyond movies and TV shows, whether it be music, if you listen to Apple Music, Amazon Music, uh, you're going to hear uh, Dolby Atmos the way the, uh, the artists want you to hear it. They want you to take that studio experience and bring that into your uh, headphones, bring that studio experience, bring that into your PC, bring that into your, into your car. Um, we also do TV shows, music, live sports, gaming. Um, so we try and bring that to your living room, to the mobile, to your PC, consumer electronics, including speakers and soundbars, and, and then now automotive. So you asked about what kind of products we're in. We're in basically any consumer electronic device that's out there. Awesome. Perfect. Um, and I guess, you know, how does Dolby continue to innovate its products for the future? And are there any new markets Dolby is currently trying to enter into? Yeah, you know, innovation, you know, is a huge part of the Dolby brand. It's it's also in our name. We're Dolby Laboratories. And so, uh, you know, the marketplace is continuously evolving and we need to evolve with it or even get in front of it to remain, you know, relevant. And if you think about the landscape changes and how Dolby has adapted over time, let's let's just go way back in time. You know, starting in theaters, you invented stereo and cassette tape noise reduction. That's before your time, Logan. But that's what we did. Star Wars was the first major motion picture in Dolby Stereo in 1976. I actually was around for that. Uh, you know, then technology shifted from you know VHS cassettes to DVDs to Blu-ray, you know, and optical disc drives and PCs to be able to play these CDs and DVDs. And then we had to continue to evolve through streaming and the streaming services and the ability to have people create content, music and TV and movies in our technology, which is Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision. Uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, we just started including Dolby Atmos in cars so you can have the most immersive experience in music and uh, podcasts while you drive to have that spatial audio um, experience. Awesome. Great. Um, you know, and then I want to I want to dive deeper, of course, into your role as CFO. Um, this chief financial officer is one of the most important members of the company's leadership team. Can you explain and I, I know even sometimes I am confused, but I'm sure plenty of people listening to this podcast don't exactly know what a CFO does. So can you explain what are CFO's most important roles and how do you implement your vision, whether it be efficiency, cost management, or profitability? My perception is, you know, CFOs oversee financial planning, accounting, and possibly interface with Wall Street and advise CEOs. So if you could dive deeper into that for me, that would be great. Sure. You know, as you stated, I oversee financial planning, I interface with Wall Street, and I advise the CEO on strategic decisions, but I also oversee tax. I oversee treasury, particularly when a company makes money and it's public. We make, we make money and have healthy cash flows. Uh, you got to manage that. Uh, I also oversee internal audit and then IT, information uh, technology, as well as cybersecurity. <clears throat> so I always say, you know, they think of bean counters, uh, you bean count. Well, I say we do more than just count the beans. Uh, we help grow the beans. If you step back and helicopter up, the overarching goals of the CFO organization, you know, are to accelerate profitable growth by ensuring the company's operations run smoothly 
and effectively, you know, and enable them to achieve the goals and get desired results. And, and how do we do that? One is drive effective decision-making that's either data-driven or smart and allocation of capital. How are we allocating capital to invest in the business to in, in, in improve shareholder value and for sta- sustainable growth? Um, you know, as an IT and everything else, we have to align the infrastructure with the needs of the business. What systems do we need? Do we need uh, equipment? Um, how do we how do we get thousands of employees around the world to communicate? What kind of tools do they need? What kind of applications? So, getting the infrastructure based on the needs of the business, um, and then really what finance is supposed to do is align the long-term strategic goals with long-term financial plans, bring that into the short-term operating plans and monitor the business performance and adjust when necessary. So it's sort of a rinse and repeat, have a five-year goal out there, have a 10-year goal. What does that look like? What does success look like? And then what are those measurements along the way? And that measurement, you tear off one page, that's your budget for next year. That's a starting point. And then you look at the facts on the ground and you make adjustments based on the landscape, performance, where we are, um, capital, um, and make those decisions. So it's, it's dynamic. It's not sort of a, there's nothing chiseled in stone. You've got to be agile uh, when, you, when you're in a marketplace like we are. In, in the world, anywhere, it's uh, constantly changing and you've got to change with it. Totally. Um, and, you know, let's, let's, let's obviously talk. Dovey is a public company and trade on the stock market. So as a CFO, how do you manage the company's relationship with Wall Street to attract more investors, improve the stock price, and possibly raise capital if needed? Yeah, on that last point, uh, we've got a lot of cash, no debt, and we have healthy cash flow. So we don't have to raise capital, but we have the capacity to. So people are always coming to me to try and loan me money. Um, the rates are a little high right now. But one way to increase uh, investor and analyst engagement is to get out there and be clear and consistent telling the Dolby story. What people really appreciate is being clear and consistent, not changing the store every quarter, um, not having having um, pivots all the time, but really compelling and and talk about why it's a desirable company to invest in. And that's what we do and try and do over and over again. We do that through our quarterly earnings cycle, which I'm going to do and I'm in the middle of in the next uh, month or so. But we also engage through investor conferences. There's investor conferences where you go and present, you meet investors in a large room or one-on-one, two-on-one. Um, and then you know, try and match their investment philosophy with your company. If it's a good match, you should invest in it. If we're not what you're looking for, if you're looking for a high growth company that's burning a lot of cash, we're not the right company for you. If you're looking for a, a great disciplined growth company that's shareholder friendly, then we're the kind of company you want. And so you don't want a mismatch of, of investors that have a different philosophy than, than what you can deliver. So we do that again do, through investor conferences and roadshows. And then something about you said about raising the stock price is contrary to popular belief, you know, I don't control the stock price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I let the market do that. I can control the message and convey that message as clearly and succinctly as possible. And I think that's, we've just got to keep doing that and build credibility with our, with our company and, and have people believe in our long-term vision. And you know, we've been around a long time and we expect to be around a, a lot longer. Awesome. Um, so obviously I want to dive deeper into, you know, kind of the challenges of being CFO. So what has been the hardest challenge or financial challenges that you have faced being CFO Adobe? 
Yeah, I would say it, it was the last couple of years has been um, extraordinary in terms of what's going on with the macroeconomic environment coming off of the COVID uh, period of uh, COVID on, COVID off, recovery, demand, no demand, um, inflation, high inflation and the impact on consumer uh, confidence and consumer spending and people going to the movies. Um, and then the geopolitical climate of what's going on with uh, a lot of conflict and, and challenges around the globe. And so how do you navigate those um, waters uh, while maintaining what you need to do in terms of um, that long-term vision of, of sustainable growth? And so that has been, honestly, the last two years has been a, a, a big challenge, not for just for Dolby, but I think for any company you would talk to, um, the last couple of years has been extraordinary in all the different moving parts um, that have an impact on your company and what that might do and how do you how do you react to it and how do you prepare for it? It's an uncertain world. So people who think they have a handle on it, um, it's hard to say. So you need credibility in terms of we can see based on the facts in front of us and we make the decisions based on the best information available. But it was a very um, challenging time. I got it. Great. And I guess what is well one piece of advice or any advice you would like to have been given when you first became CFO of Dolby? You know, advice for people who, you know, want, advice for people who want to become a CFO or want to get in this career, uh, a, a few things. Like there are a few things that really I think have helped me. And I think um, as I see the people who move up quickly and, and are, are star performers, is they have certain um, traits that, uh, are common is one, endless intellectual curiosity, asking a lot of questions, right? Asking the right questions. <clears throat> I always say, ask the five whys. When someone tells you something, you can, you, if you ask the five whys, you'll get to the root answer of what they're trying to get to. No one has ever been fired for asking too many questions. You know, find out how the business works and ultimately how it makes money. You know, as you said before, do stints in different functions to build new skills and experiences whether it be accounting, finance, investor relations, treasury, try different functions. So you get a different lens into the business. Um, so you can learn more about the business that will only help you. So I think having that intellectual curiosity, asking lots of questions, don't ask the same questions multiple times, but ask a lot of questions to really understand the business is key. Um, second thing I, I would say, if you want to move up in the world and, and whether it be finance or any job is you have to, you kind of have to fight that imposter syndrome, you know, you're naturally going to have fear, you know, and doubts anytime you try something different or something bigger, a bigger role. And as I said before, I bite off more than I can chew and I chew like hell to get through it. There are always going to be someone smarter than you. There's always going to be someone with more experience than you, but you got to make sure that there's no one out there that can out hustle you. So just need to put in the elbow grease, have a, uh, have a lot of grit and get through it and, and fight that imposter syndrome. You, you've earned the right to have this bigger role. Um, take it by the horns and, and just get through it. Awesome. And then third is don't fear making mistakes. Mm -hmm. you know, I just say, don't keep making the same mistakes. Uh, there's a saying that uh, they say good judgment comes from experience. And then most of that experience comes from bad judgment. And so think of a mistake as a learning experience and mm -hmm. I'll make mistakes today. I'll make them tomorrow, but they won't be the mis same mistakes I made yesterday. It's constantly learning. Um, and, and, most people would say they learn more from their mistakes than their successes, but don't be afraid and, and don't be afraid to take a risk because 
it might be a mistake or you might be taking a risk. Um, you'll learn right away whether you went beyond your skis or or that whether that was the right call. Awesome. Great. Um, Mr. Mr. Park, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom of business and careers to the next generation. I'm sure our listeners gained a lot from the, our conversations today. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Logan, it's great. Thanks for having me again. And uh, I'll see you at campus next time I come to visit my son. Will do. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to my talk with Mr. Robert Park. It means a lot and we are grateful for your support. If you like this episode, please drop a five-star review on Apple and Spotify podcasts and subscribe. You can follow us for more updates on Instagram at the Finance Z Podcast. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and have a great rest of your day and stay safe.